1: Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Coming up on today's program, a visit from Linelia Ramet with Touched by Suicide. We start off with Liz Kerfman. She's the Refugee Ministry Director for the Northwest Community Center. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing great. I learned about you guys from Jana Gardner with Healing Hands. She had great things to say about what you guys are doing, who you guys are, And that is exactly why you're here. Tell us about what you do at Northwest Community Center, and then we'll get into the refugee stuff.
0: Sure. So as the director, I oversee the management and the operations and the day-to-day logistics of the community center, but then also I oversee our internal partnerships and external partnerships. So internal, one is Healing Hands Ministry. They operate uh, three clinics on site with us, and then we also have two other partner agencies, Vickery Trading Company and St. Vincent DePaul Charity Pharmacy, and then our external partners. Um, from my background as a social worker, I really believe that if someone does something better than you, you need to invite them into your space and have them do it um, because it, duplicating services is a big disservice to the neighborhood we serve. And so we want to do things well, streamline it, and really give our um, our community the best of what we have to offer.
1: How did you get involved with this organization?
0: Sure. So Northwest Community Center is um, completely funded. Our entire budget comes from Uh, Funds that are raised from Northwest Bible Church. So, I actually was a member at Northwest Bible Church, and when I saw um, the job opening for this position, I said, I have to have that one. (laughs) Um, But I'm a social worker, um, and so I had actually worked with refugees prior. Um, I had worked in some refugee camps and with internally displaced people um, prior to my previous job, Um, and so that's really how I got involved or interested in refugees.
1: Tell me about that experience. Where did you start with all of this work?
0: Yeah, so I actually worked for um, a ministry of a formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ crew, um, a ministry of theirs called Global Aid Network, and it's a humanitarian aid agency. And so while I was in graduate school um, studying social work, I got really interested in how do you you train the trainer, meaning there's all these... uh, catastrophes happening worldwide and mental health is not prevalent. And so um, I was part of a team that trained um, crew national staff that were on the ground and working with these people how to be lay counselors. So That was right as the war in Syria was beginning. And so in Lebanon, they were seeing quite a few Syrian refugees. And so we trained the Lebanese staff on how to be lay counselors. And so that was really my first experience. The first time I met a refugee was in Lebanon um, and hearing about um, what they had fled, the circumstances that led them to Lebanon, um, how they longed for home. Um, I think that's something that really resonated with me personally, and then also uh, due to the nature of my study and my desire to become a social worker.
1: Was there a reason why it resonated so personally with you?
0: Um, I think the main reason is just that that's such a simple desire, and it's not something I've ever had to worry about in my life. You know, uh, I've always had um, the privilege of security of home and where that was, and I've never been insecure in my housing, and there was something about Refugees specifically that through no fault of their own they had to flee for their lives that just really whoa like that That stopped me in my tracks and it really resonated with me.
1: Where did you travel to when you were doing this work?
0: Yeah, so I went to the Middle East mostly um, a couple of countries there and then I also traveled to Haiti after uh, The devastating earthquake in 2010.
1: We're in the Middle East. You said Lebanon. Was there anywhere else?
0: Yeah, there were a couple of other places
1: are you not allowed to talk about that?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not. W- yeah. How come? Um, just for security reasons. Very interesting. Yeah. All right. Yeah.
1: Well, now I have a whole load of questions now about you're something intrigued, that I right? can't ask you anymore <laughs> about. Did your work with refugees drive you to want to be a better social worker? Because you were already on that path, and then you discovered this path. Yeah. So how did those inform each other?
0: Sure. So uh, social work is all about a person in their environment. Um, So the complexity of the different roles that they have. So, for example, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a social worker, I'm a church member, just all these different hats that I wear. Well, social work takes that all into consideration. And how do you empower someone within their whole uh, person and environment identity? And so for a refugee gosh, that takes on a completely different circumstance because they have fled their home country and now they're in a different country and they're trying to acclimate into the new country. It's just like all of these roles that they carry are an upheaval. Um, as a mom and you're a refugee, you might feel like I can't provide for my kids or I don't know how to take care of my kids. I don't even know where to buy diapers. Um, it just really, yeah, I think it definitely drove my desire as a social worker to be a better better social worker and to really understand um the cultural challenges that a lot of our refugee neighbors experience when they are resettled or when they're fleeing initially
1: when you were traveling especially but starting down this path were your eyes opened to what was really going on in the world in a way that you weren't prepared for or expecting or did you kind of have a feeling for what you were getting into
0: I did not have a feeling for what I was getting into. You know, uh, like most people, I I don't really have a context for what's going on in global crises outside of what the news says, and even we don't. Um, we don't see a lot of what's happening worldwide for um, in border conflicts. Um, when someone's at conflict with the United States, we might see a little bit more, but uh, civil wars and things like that we don't have context for. I was in my mid-20s when I started doing this, and it definitely shaped my worldview a ton because you're seeing completely different things that we are so fortunate in the United States that we haven't seen. Um, and so, yeah, it definitely influenced my worldview quite a bit.
1: Did it make you more patient? did it make you feel stronger about being able to live in America? What were the things that it did to shape you because at that age it's going to have a massive impact totally. and, and it obviously have has this is what you're currently doing with your life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So how did that shape you? what do you what did you glean from that as a human being?
0: patience, flexibility. Um, You can make plans, but hold them loosely. I think most social workers would probably say that too, because anytime you're working with people in really tough circumstances, um, you make a plan and then you kind of, stumble along with it sometimes <laughs> with working with people in really tough uh, circumstances. So I definitely really say I'm patient, I'm flexible. Um, it really set up realistic expectations. And then honestly, it made me appreciate my upbringing in my life a lot more. You know, I feel like I won the lottery on nothing I merited by being born in the United States. So that it gave me a newfound appreciation for um, where I came from.
1: Liz Kerfman is the Refugee Ministry Director at Northwest Community Center. You can find them online at nccrefugees.org. Let's talk about what a refugee is. I think that that can be a loaded term. I think that a lot of people don't necessarily understand what that is, what it looks like. What is a refugee?
0: Sure. So the United Nations um, has a definition for refugees, and I don't know it exactly, so I'm going to kind of butcher it a little bit, but relatively speaking, a refugee is a person that is fleeing Um, persecution, life or death circumstances. uh, They've lost uh, their livelihood or jobs. There's just no, uh, there's nothing for them to do. So how a refugee comes to be is they flee wherever they're from. Um, If they have to leave, they have to cross a border. So a person that, so say, for example, if I lived in Nevada, and there was an earthquake, which I don't think earthquakes happen in Nevada. But if I went to another city in Nevada, I would be an internally displaced person. Um, So the same is true. So if someone stayed within their country and just fled to another city, that's an internally displaced person. You actually have to cross a border, and that's how—and then you register with the United Nations High Commission on Refugees, and that's how you become a refugee and obtain that status.
1: Has your experience— giving you a different view of what a refugee is or what it looks like outside of that definition of it, to see them as human beings, to see them as people.
0: Absolutely. I definitely see them as human beings, as people. You know, uh, the stat that we have now is there's 25 million refugees in the world today, more than after World War II. Um, And so when people say that number, 25 million, that's so big. And, you know, we, I know personally so many people that are in that number um, and that they're real human beings with real stories and real lives and so it does my work does uh, bring a humane side to those numbers and facts and figures
1: after your work traveling you said that you saw the opening at northwest community center and you jumped in how long have you been there
0: Um, i've been there for about two and a half years how's it feel Good. Um, I I still have to pinch myself sometimes that I'm the boss.
1: <laughs> How weird is that? I think that so that's, weird. It is a thing that comes up when you do interviews like these. A lot of the people that I have talked to, their story is very similar to yours. They were working in this field, and then all of a sudden, a job opened up, and now they're the boss. Is being the boss what you expected it to be?
0: Yes and no. Um, I definitely enjoy. I enjoy leading the charge, especially the location we're at now is so new and kind of building out the structure. That's really my skill set. Um, when I was beca- when I was studying to be a social worker, I took the route of nonprofit management as my concentration, and so a lot of my skill and training feed into that. Um, and so there's things that I'm just naturally good at and really enjoy. Um, but you know, some days are hard. Some days you're like, man, I wish somebody else was here to do all this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But with the management stuff, you were kind of eyeballing this, that you did want the responsibility of leadership at a certain point.
0: Yeah, my desire has always been um, to be a director or um, VP of something, you know, always the not the end goal, but really my career objectives when I set out on this trajectory of social work was to be in high-level management. Was it
1: because you didn't want other people to dictate your work? Was it important for you to lay the ground rules and and to figure out what programs were important?
0: I think so. I think at the time I didn't realize that because I was so green. Like, I hadn't really done anything yet when I started grad school. But just as my career has taken shape, and, you know, this is only my... Third professional job as a social worker, um, it's made me see just the importance of the connection that social work really ingrains into you to maintain the connection with who you're serving, and then how to translate that into a program. And so that's the biggest benefit of being the boss is um, my team tells me what's going on in the community, or I see what's going on in the community, and then I'm able to. Um, change our management to reflect the needs of the community, which is really great to be able to pivot at that level.
1: You're talking about your community. I saw on your website, which once again is nccrefugees.org, that you specifically work in Vickery Meadow. Yes. Yes. I want to know more about that area. Where are you guys located?
0: <clears throat> yeah, so we are located on Greenville and Pineland. So we're behind, if you're familiar with that area, um, it's behind an American Heart Association building, and um, it's across Greenville from uh, Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital. So Vickery Meadow itself is about three square miles, and it's one of the most densely populated neighborhoods in Dallas. Um, one of the reasons being... I mean, I don't have an accurate number, but I would say it's 95% apartment buildings. So you have multifamily units, and that's why it's so uh, densely populated.
1: Is there a high number of refugees that live there, or is it just a very diverse neighborhood?
0: Yeah, it's a high concentration of of refugees. Um, We have quite a bit of refugees that live in Vickery Meadow. And then there's others that are from um, some other countries that came here as immigrants or asylum seekers, which are different statuses from refugees. But it's a little United Nations. It's, <laughs> I mean, that's really what it is. What
1: accounts for that? Why is that?
0: Um, there's a lot of things, uh, kind of the history of Dallas. So when the Refugee Act passed in 1980 and we had a formalized refugee resettlement program with the State Department, Um the best place to resettle refugees because lots of refugees come from countries and locations where walking that's how you get around um it was a lot easier it was close to hospital services and so you saw this natural resettlement agencies saw that um neighborhood as an not easy but an advantageous place if someone's coming to the united states for the first time there's things within walking distance but when they started resettling when resettlement agencies started resettling in that neighborhood. There was actually no school system. There's still no library. We have broken ground on one, and that'll open. Um, sometime in 2020 or 2021. Are you guys involved
1: with the library? Yes. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah,
0: thank you. Thank you. So that was part part of the migration. So before refugees, immigrants, and asylum seekers, you still see some of that cultural diversity in East Dallas, for example. Um, a lot of the Vietnamese people that were fleeing, fleeing Vietnam in the 70s settled in East Dallas, but then the slow migration has been up to vickery meadow and then the city responded by building uh, school services that are within walking distance
1: i live in east dallas and i was driving around and happened to stumble into what i guess is little vietnam and i saw all these grocery stores and restaurants and i was like oh great yeah it's it's actually it's been really fun going over there and kind of checking that out is dallas known for being a hub for refugees or is it just this area that you guys have, Vickery Meadow, it just kind of happened to, to be there and it, and it stuck.
0: No, Dallas is um, well known in the United States for being a, a city for refugee resettlement. It's one of the top five in the nation.
1: Why is that? Is it, I mean, because we, you were saying that it was advantageous for things like getting around and they had everything they would need in an area, but when you think of walkable cities, I'm, I'm, Dallas, Dallas isn't is high not,
0: not, no. <laughs> not going to be on that list. No, um, cost of living is one reason. Um, who we always compete with, um, it's our national and in state rivals. Houston is another. Uh, city. Boo. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> um, we always compete with Houston um, okay. to get the top city in Texas, and then Houston's usually in the top five as well. I really think the state of Texas, it's, um, I mean, the state of Texas, it is welcoming, it is friendly. We got that moniker for a reason. I have to agree. Yep, and so that's one reason, and the cost of living and the economy. Um, and honestly, Dallas is a very generous uh, city in terms of uh, – donations to nonprofits and things like that and so that makes it probably a reason as well I would speculate just because I know Dallas sites are very generous so
1: that's what we're known for yeah all right. I want to talk about the the breakdown of where a lot of these people come from. I want to learn a lot more about the programs, real quick. Though, let's talk about Northwest Community Center because the the Refugee Ministry is not the only thing that you do. What are some of the other programs that you guys offer the community? What else are you guys doing?
0: Yeah. So we're really fortunate to have about fifteen thousand square feet um, of space, which is some of the lar- it's the largest footprint in the neighborhood, and so we're able to partner with other agencies to put on different events or different things that would be applicable specifically to refugees. So um, we're able to host citizenship classes with our friends at Catholic Charities of Dallas. We are able to host cultural orientations with our friends at the International Rescue Committee. And then uh, Refugee Services of Texas, these are all refugee resettlement agencies, um, hosts our morning and evening English classes. So we do things outside of our scope or our programming because they're a benefit to our partner agencies. And then um, the past few years we've hosted World Refugee Day, which is a celebration of the diversity of our neighbors.
1: You guys host citizenship classes so people can become u s. citizens through y'all's help. Mm-hmm. Can you hook me up with that? <laughs> I want to talk to some people. but there is something that I really have always liked about that. Yeah, I find it a fascinating process and there's something very corny in me that loves that. so, Will you help me out with that? Sure
0: thing. And there's, there's nothing corny about it. If you've never been, I would say this to anybody listening as well, if you've never been to um, a naturalization ceremony, it is incredibly moving. The one that I went to, the federal judge asked um, everyone who was being naturalized that day to stand. And then she had a couple say where they're from and why they were excited to become Americans. I mean, I'm like, weeping into my shirt while she's doing this. It was just so cool.
1: This is why I said it was corny, because I get very emotional thinking about that stuff, and I'm not sure exactly why. I think it's a great thing, so I would like to learn more about that. But let's let's get back to the refugee ministry. Sure. You guys offer a a lot of different mm-hmm. programs. What are some of the ones that stand out to you? Are there ones specifically that you really latch on to and think... This is it. This is a good one.
0: Yeah, one that really comes to mind is our resource distribution. One of the reasons being it's. Uh, once a month, and we're able to distribute adult and baby hygiene items um, to our neighbors because we believe in a supplement, a hand up, not a handout. How would you be a good neighbor? You'd let them um, borrow things or take that cup of sugar, and that's that's a hand up, not a handout. So we do that once a month, um, and we partner with an organization called Hope Supply Co. to get all of our um, all of our baby items. So that includes diapers, pacifiers, bottles, wipes. I mean. Think about what a baby needs. I
1: had them on a long time ago, and it might be time to revisit. It's a great, great organization. Super great
0: organization. They've been our partner from day one of resource distribution, which we have this summer. It'll be three years that we've been running resource distribution. So that's one of my favorites because everyone that comes to our programs comes to that, and it's It's so fun to say hi to them and see them all in one place at one time. Maybe that's corny. Um, The others that really stick out to me is our after-school program, which we also partner with Heart House Dallas, which has been in Vickery Meadow for – quite some time, um, and they run our after-school program on-site, which is so great. Um, One of their core aspects is social-emotional learning, so teaching kids about where where their emotions come from, so they learn a lot about the brain and the different parts of the brain and how how that's where your emotions come from and the different parts. And so it just really, it's really neat. I mean, I could have benefited from that when I was a kid, right? I think we uh, all probably
1: could have, yes. We all
0: probably could have to learn our emotions a little bit better and where they come from. Um, and so those are the ones that really like, Are at the forefront of our mind we do so many great things but those are the ones that really jump off the page for me
1: included in what you guys offer to the community English classes job readiness training resource distribution as you mentioned you have uh, a lot of kids clubs and after-school stuff Talk to me about where is it? Yes, Vickery Trading Company. I saw that oh, on the yeah. website. It looked really cool.
0: We love Vickery Trading Company. So they're one of our building partners, like I mentioned before. So it's Healing Hand, St. Vincent de Paul, and Vickery Trading Company. So it's a job training program um, for refugee women. And so right now, I think they have like eight to 10 women on their payroll, and they make um, the women make girls' uh, boutique-level dresses. They also make a couple of women's items, so ladies, look them up, Um, and it's just a really neat model. The idea is not that they become seamstresses after they leave this 18 to 24-month program. It's the idea of empowering a woman with employment. Um, A lot of these women, this is the first time they've ever drawn a paycheck, and so just think about I remember my first paycheck. I don't know about you, but Uh I remember my first paycheck and part of you, again, maybe this is corny, part of you wants to frame it, right? Like I worked really hard for that. My first professional job, I was like, wow, this feels really cool. And so the fact that they have that empowerment and strength and then also part of the programming also includes English lessons for the ladies, typing classes, female entrepreneurs come and speak to the women. Um, So yeah, it's just a really cool model. Just that empowerment piece I think is so incredible.
1: Liz Kerfman is the Refugee Ministry Director for the Northwest Community Center, their website, nccrefugees.org. Where are a lot of these people coming from? You're, you're saying that it's a very diverse neighborhood. Uh, is there a large population of a certain group?
0: Yeah, so um, the neighborhood, just like any neighborhood, you've got pockets of different. So on our end of the neighborhood, the high number of Ethnicities we see are Burmese, so those from Burma, and Myanmar. Um, we also see quite a few from East Africa, so that's Eritrea, Ethiopia, Burundi, South Sudan, and Somalia. And then we have about a handful from the Middle East. Depending on because of our location on our side of the neighborhood, we don't have quite as many from the Middle East, but we do have some. And then we have quite a few um, Rohingya, which that's a Muslim minority group from Myanmar. Um, Hmm. They're one of the most persecuted people groups in the world. And so we are so fortunate to have such a high population of Rohingya in our
1: neighborhood. How are these people finding you and this organization? Are they coming from these different areas of the world specifically to your ministry? Do they just... And, I mean, I can't imagine they just end up in Vickery Meadow. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's kind of a dumb way to put it. But how do they find your organization?
0: Yeah, so we're within walking distance of a lot of those apartments that I mentioned before. Like, uh, to the back side of our facility is an apartment complex. To the other side of our facility is an apartment complex. To the other side, I mean, we're surrounded by apartment complexes that refugees are resettled in. Um So we are we do have a really great relationship with partner organizations in the neighborhood, including those resettlement agencies that they initially come through. And then um, word of mouth, I call it the Vickery Wireless. Um, We've we work really hard to maintain a good reputation um, because we know that word of mouth is uh, so valuable and we're so thankful for it. So really what it is is someone telling their friend like, hey, I went to the Northwest Community Center. They helped me find a job if you're looking for one you should go to.
1: Do these refugee organizations, are they part of the government? Are they independent that are helping to bring these people in? Because, I mean, I think that you're talking about a lot of people coming in that are going to need your services. But I'm kind of fascinated with the idea of them making it here to begin with.
0: Yeah, so uh, refugee resettlement agencies are, um, they're nonprofits. They're not part of the government, but they receive funding from the government. So there are nine um resettlement agencies that work with the State Department. And so that's a bigger... That's a bigger process. They communicate with the State Department uh, based on this is how many our agency can take and this agency and this agency and this agency. And so the city of Dallas can actually support this many. Those are pretty lengthy process. Um, And so then they report that back to the State Department, who advises um, Congress and the president's office regarding how many refugees to let into the United States in a given federal calendar year.
1: Has your organization thought about getting involved more with that? with bringing people in as opposed to helping those that are here
0: we have you know um we are completely funded by a ch- church northwest bible church and so um our church is really looking how can we be more involved with that aspect so we've got we've got some things in the hopper but nothing for sure but it's definitely a conversation that we're having
1: are there any big projects that you have coming up for the year is there anything that your organization is really focused on
0: yeah, so we are really looking forward to um we're doing World Refugee Day again, not at our facility cuz we actually outgrew it, if you can believe it, which is so exciting. Um and so that'll be on June 22nd and we're still looking for a venue for that, but we're really excited about that coming down the coming down the pike cuz it's just fun to celebrate this incredible diversity, and that's open to anyone. Um, it's definitely a celebration of our refugee neighbors, but we love seeing Americans there so that they can witness what a cool thing this neighborhood is and what a what a gem and a jewel it is for the city of Dallas. Are there
1: any cultures or countries that you have identified with? Are there ones that stand out to you that you have really enjoyed and learned a lot about, maybe taking the food, the culture itself? Is there anything that has kind of got its hooks into you?
0: Sure. So I think there's not one in particular, obviously with my travels with my job, you know, all those years ago, I'm very interested in Middle Eastern culture um, and food. And I think the other thing that I've been really interested in the other culture, um, one of my colleagues is a former refugee from Burundi. So we're always learning new things about Burundi and African culture, which I have to tell you is a lot of fun. So he, uh, Um, He shares, like, idioms with us, you know, like, colloquial things. Do you know any of them? One of them is um, meaning when you talk about someone that's passed away, you say, oh, they've gone to Dar es Salaam, which is a city in Tanzania. So instead of saying, like, oh, he kicked the bucket, he went to Dar es Salaam. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) I love learning about those uh, because sometimes if you don't know that culture, they make no sense at all. There's really, like, a hard way to translate that. They really have to be explained to you. But once— You do understand them. You like them a lot and you want to use them. I've always been fascinated by stuff like that. Those are great.
0: Totally, yeah. And I think just being a student of all the cultures that come in, you know, Jean, my colleague, he's so gracious to to share with us his his cultural and ethnic history. And then so are our neighbors. I think most people want to share that, right? Like, if you've ever traveled overseas and people are asking you about American culture, it's kind of fun to talk about. Absolutely. You know, like, yeah. why do we like Snickers bars? Well, because they're really good. <laughs> like, It's just fun to be, I love learning and it's fun being a student of, all these, um, all these different cultures. It's, of course, horrific circumstances that brought them to us, but I feel like I, I get a lot more than I give.
1: Winding down, do you guys have any volunteer opportunities?
0: Yeah, so the the one that I mentioned, resource distribution, we do that once a month. It's on a Saturday morning. It's low commitment if you're kind of nervous, which is totally normal, um, and you've ever wanted to engage with um, our refugee neighbors and to get to know them a little bit more. Um, That resource distribution, it's one Saturday a month from about... 10 45 to 1 p.m. is the volunteer opportunity and it's a really great way to engage so our next one is saturday february the 16th and to sign up to volunteer and serve with us you can visit our website
1: which once again is nccrefugees.org i've been speaking with liz kerfman she's the refugee ministry director at northwest community center it was great speaking with you thank you very much
0: of course thanks for having me